You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Today's scripture is taken from Mark 4, verses 1 through 34, from the Common English Bible. Parable of the Soils Jesus began to teach beside the lake again. Such a large crowd gathered that he climbed into a boat there on the lake. He sat in the boat while the whole crowd was nearby on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. While teaching them, he said, Listen to this. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately, because the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked the seeds, and they produced nothing. Other seed fell into good soil and bore fruit. Upon growing and increasing, the seed produced, in one case, a yield of 30 to 1, in another case, a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case, a yield of 100 to 1. He said, whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. Jesus explains his parable. When they were alone, the people around Jesus, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. He said to them, The secret of God's kingdom has been given to you. But to those who are outside, everywhere, everything comes in parables. This is so they can look and see, but have no insight, and they can hear, but not understand. Otherwise, they may turn their lives around and be forgiven. Don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The farmer scatters the word. Now, this is the meaning of the seed that fell on the path. When the word is scattered and people hear it, right away, Satan comes and steals the word that was planted in them. Here's the meaning of the seed that fell on rocky ground. When people hear the word, they immediately receive it joyfully. Because they have no roots, they last for only a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like the seeds scattered among the thorny plants. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of this life, the false appeal of wealth, and the desire for more things break in and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. The seeds scattered on good soil are those who hear the word and embrace it. They bear fruit 
In one case, a yield of 30 to 1, in another case, 60 to 1, and in another case, 100 to 1. Parables about lamps and measures. Jesus said to them, Does anyone bring in a lamp in order to put it under a basket or a bed? Shouldn't it be placed on a lampstand? Everything hidden will be revealed, and everything secret will come out into the open. Whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. He said to them, Listen carefully. God will evaluate you with the same standard you use to evaluate others. Indeed, you will receive even more. Those who have will receive more. But as for those who don't have, even what they don't have will be taken away from them. More parables about God's kingdom. Then Jesus said, This is what God's kingdom is like. It's as though someone scatters seed on the ground and sleeps and wakes night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer doesn't know how. The earth produces crops all by itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the full head of grain. Whenever the crop is ready, the farmer goes out to cut the grain because it's harvest time. He continued, What's a good image for God's kingdom? What parable can I use to explain it? Consider a mustard seed. When scattered on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. But when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all vegetable plants. It produces such large branches that the birds in the sky are able to nest in its shade. With many such parables, he continued to give them the word as much as they were able to hear. He spoke to them only in parables, then explained everything to his disciples when he was alone with them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love that moment captured in verse 30, where Jesus asks himself, what's a good image for God's kingdom? What parable can I use to explain it? Here is a man who is fully human and also fully divine, Christ in a human body. And he wants to proclaim the good news that God's kingdom is at hand. And he is thinking about what is the best way to tell people? And so he asks, what parable can I use? Now, often the parables seem confusing on the surface. In the passage that we heard today, there were a couple of different stories that he heard. We are looking at the parable of the sower. And when he taught in public, he just offered the story. He didn't offer the deeper explanation to the big crowds. Instead, we see that it was later when he was with his disciples and the inner circle that he explained so that they could understand the deeper meaning of this story. You might wonder, why would Jesus choose to use parables as a teaching method? Well, Reverend McLaren offers this perspective from this week's chapter of We Make the Road by Walking. 
quote, Jesus loved to teach through finely crafted works of short fiction called parables. He often introduced these parables with the words, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. He knew that most adults quickly sort messages into either or categories, agree, disagree, like, dislike, familiar, strange. In doing so, they react and they argue without actually hearing and thinking about what is being said. His parables drew his hearers into deeper thought by engaging their imagination and by inviting interpretation instead of reaction and argument. In this way, parables put people into the position of children who are more attracted to stories than to arguments. Faced with a parable, listeners were invited to give matters a second thought. They could then ask questions, stay curious, and seek something deeper than agreement or disagreement, namely meaning, end quote. The last verse of the passage that Tricia just read for us, we hear, quote, he spoke to them only in parables, then explained everything to his disciples when he was alone with them, end quote. So what that means is Jesus is teaching to huge, large crowds, folks who might be prone to that either or like, dislike, argue type of mentality. So he would present these parables that would challenge their thinking and make them curious. And it wasn't until they came back and they were more ready to hear the deeper meaning that he would then explain to those smaller groups. He would be able to engage in deeper conversation with those 12 disciples and with the others who also came, the ones who were willing to listen to the deeper meaning. So I can imagine how important those small group discussions were to Jesus. And it's part of the reason why in our church life together, we worship as a large group And we also have a number of small groups who gather to study God's word, who gather to fellowship together, to be a caring community of the body of Christ, and also to serve others. Now, throughout the COVID pandemic, we've had to move our study and fellowship times to a virtual format using Zoom, and we've had to adapt our serving others to try and stay as safe as possible. One of the opportunities that COVID presented was to start a new group, actually. We've had a book club that started during COVID, and we meet by Zoom. Last weekend, we met to discuss a book called Braiding Sweetgrass. It was written by botanist Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer. Now, the subtitle of this book is Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. Dr. Kimmerer is an Indigenous woman with Potawatomi heritage, and she explains some of the scientific benefits to traditional Indigenous farming practices. In one chapter, she introduced me to a new concept that I hadn't heard before. It's called the Three Sisters. That's the name for the special relationship between corn, beans, and squash. Dr. Kimmerer waxes poetic about the indigenous practice of planting fields with these three plants working together to support one another. She explains in great detail the scientific reasoning for thriving together, the beans creating the nitrogen in the soil that benefits all three plants, 
the corn providing a strong stalk for the beans to grow up on as a support, and the squash providing the dense ground cover to help keep out pests. She then contrasts this indigenous type of planting with a neighboring farm using modern planting methods. Dr. Kimmerer wrote this about the neighboring farm. Quote, there must be millions of corn plants out there, standing shoulder to shoulder, with no beans, no squash, and scarcely a weed in sight. These are my neighbor's fields, and I've seen the many passes with the tractor that produce such a clean field. Tank sprayers on the tractor have delivered applications of fertilizer. You can smell it in the spring as it drifts off the fields. A dose of ammonium nitrate substitutes for the partnership of a bean, and the tractors return with herbicides to suppress weeds in lieu of squash leaves. There were certainly bugs and weeds back when these valleys were three sisters' gardens, and yet they flourished without insecticides. Polycultures, fields with many plants of spe- many species of plants, are less susceptible to pest outbreaks than monocultures. The diversity of plant forms provides habitats for a wide array of insects. Some, like corn, worms, and bean beetles and squash borers, are there with the intent on feeding on the crop. But the diversity of plants also creates habitats for insects who eat the crop eaters. Predatory beetles and parasitic wasps coexist with the garden and keep the crop eaters under control. More than people are fed by this garden, and there is enough to go around. The Three Sisters offers us a new metaphor for an emerging relationship between indigenous knowledge and Western science, both of which are rooted in the earth. I think of the corn as traditional ecological knowledge, the physical and spiritual framework that can guide the curious being of science, which which twines like a double helix. The squash creates the ethical habitat for coexistence and mutual flourishing. Isn't that waxing poetic about scientific method? I think what Dr. Kimmerer is doing here is that she is employing what could be like a parable. She is trying to take the scientific knowledge that she has, both from her Western PhD work and also from her indigenous teachings, and she's weaving them together in a story. She ends her reflection on this. She says, I envision a time when the intellectual monoculture of science will be replaced with the polyculture of complementary knowledges, and so all may be fed. Now, clearly, she is coming at this with the storytelling perspective, weaving together her scientific knowledge with this indigenous perspective so that she can make her point and be remembered and get people to think and discuss. In fact, her book was published in 2013, I believe, and yet it's now a new book to many who are discussing it in book clubs, not just ours, but many. I know uh, Barbara mentioned that she and her book club read it just last year. 
Now, I have to say, I learned a lot from this book because I know very little about farming and gardening. And yet there were a lot of people in our book club who grew up among farmers and who actually still currently garden. And so it was really interesting to hear from them, to see their experiences. And in fact, when I was talking about how impressed I was with this reflection on the three sisters, one of our members was able to share her experience of trying to have a three sisters garden. And unfortunately, it wasn't working in the space where she had one place was too shady and then bean beetles were showing up in another place. And it reminded me that when we think about God's kingdom coming near, it's not fully here yet. We talk about this sense of already and not yet. Jesus has come into the world and has offered redemption and healing and hope. And yet we know there is still brokenness in the world. And so I was thinking it's kind of the experience of having a three sisters garden that didn't quite thrive. It's not God's kingdom fully yet. Now, in the parable that Jesus was teaching, he was telling his disciples that God's kingdom is coming near. And you might think it's an odd way for Jesus to talk about spreading the word of God, because he says that this farmer throws out so much seed that it overwhelms the ability of birds, rocks, thorns, and the hot sun to do him in. You would think that Jesus might tell people that our job is to make good soil. He might say, go clear those rocks from the field, go tear the thorns out, and then only plant in good soil. I mean, to my modern mind, that's what makes sense. But that's not what Jesus said. Instead, he tells us about a sower who goes out to sow, and he sows abundantly. To some, this looks wasteful and inefficient. To a modern farmer with a John Deere seed planting machine that buries each seed in the soil and prevents any of it from being lost or falling into soil that isn't good, the sower parable appears primitive and destined really for a life of poverty. This sower is very inefficient, but that's not the way Jesus saw it. He said that when the farmer threw out that seed and it did find good soil, that one seed would yield 30 times, 60 times, and even 100 times that one seed. Now, we have the benefit of hearing the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples later on when he explained what was happening. So we know that he's not just giving farming advice. He's not just talking about planting physical seeds. Those seeds symbolize the word of God. And the farmer scatters the word and God's word is never wasted. Telling the good news of God's kingdom coming near, that Christ has come and defeated the power of death and that abundant life is at hand, telling that good news is never wasted effort. Whether we tell that good news through the words that we speak or through the actions that we live in our life by living a life of kindness and generosity, that can yield results beyond our ability to know. Indeed, Jesus told another parable later about how the farmer doesn't actually understand how things grow. 
So as he is explaining that we are to sow God's word with abundance and generosity, not being particular about deciding who is good soil and where the rocks are and where the thorns are. We are to be the ones who sow God's word abundantly. Despite the appearance of defeat by rocks, by birds, by thorns, and the scorching sun, if we spend our lives sowing seeds of good news through the words that we speak and through the actions that we take to serve others, we trust in God to bring about the abundance. It's not through our own effort that God's kingdom comes near. Indeed, it is the gift of God that we have good news to share. Now, in the most frequent interpretation of this parable, it often focuses just on those who are choked by the thorns, and that's the price we pay for the seeds, and too bad that it's wasted. But I don't think that's what Jesus was getting at. Scripture calls us to zoom out a little bit, to take a larger view, and to remember that birds need to eat. Jesus said that God's eye is on the sparrow. So if the sower is going out to sow and the birds come and take that seed, that's not wasted if a bird gets a meal. And plants that grow and wither, whether they're scorched by the sun or choked by thorns, they go back into the earth and nourishment. That's how soil eventually becomes rich and receptive for growth. So from the sower's point of view, his profit comes from the seed that falls only on the good soil. But from the bigger picture of Jesus's perspective, nothing is wasted. In the fullness of time, there is abundance and wholeness. We cannot predict when that may be. And in fact, we may never see the harvest of the seeds that we sow. But if we commit ourselves to a life spent planting the seeds of the gospel through both word and deed, that effort will not be wasted. I hear this parable as an invitation for each and every one of us, the ones who've been invited into that smaller room with the disciples and Jesus, the ones who know that this is not about farming, but this is about abundant life. And we have been given good news to share. We each have this good news that we can spread abundantly. So my question for you this week is where might you take this good news and where might you sow the seeds of abundant life in God's name? May each of us be bold and sow God's love and grace abundantly wherever we go, trusting that nothing is wasted. Thanks be to God. Amen.